Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC FM, and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Kirby Stafford. He is chief scientist and state entomologist at the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station in New Haven. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Well, if you have spent any time out of doors, you've probably picked up a tick or two or two dozen. Dr. Stafford, how bad a tick season has it been so far? It's been a very active tick season. I usually like to say that uh, every year is a bad tick year. Some are just worse than others. We certainly saw a lot or above normal adult black-legged tick or deer tick activity this spring. Uh, And now as we move into the summer, it's the smaller nymphal stage, which is associated with most cases of Lyme disease that are now active uh, here in uh, late May, June, and July, a little bit into August. And we're My technician that's out doing uh, sampling has picked up, uh, you know, a lot more so far this uh, summer than she did at the same time last year. But at the same time, we haven't reached peak yet, uh, which falls anywhere from early to mid-June. So um, so it's at least comparable to last year, if not more active than last year. And some of these ticks can be very tiny. Right. You know, where the often the confusion comes in is we're dealing with two different stages uh, of the three stages of the deer tick. So uh, this spring, it was uh, the adults, which were carryovers from last fall uh, that were out and active. Uh, and now it's the very much smaller nymphs. And, and that's why that stage is responsible for most Lyme disease cases, because, well, if they're out in the summer, uh, they're very small and, and difficult to detect. Uh, and so there's a lot more uh, exposure uh, involved there. Uh, indeed, these nymphal ticks that are out now will be the, uh, once they feed, they will become the adult ticks that people will face this next fall and the following spring in 2022. It's a two-year life cycle, so uh, it takes time to go through all three of the active stages. Um, so that's why there's sometimes a little bit of confusion. The other tick we're seeing uh, a lot of uh, is the American dog tick, and that one is a larger tick with distinctive brown, with distinctive white markings on it. Only the adults feed on us or our pets. Uh, They come out in April and they're active through the summer, uh, but they don't carry Lyme disease. What share of these ticks are carrying Lyme? Do you have a, a, a rough percentage? 
Yes. Yeah, so the analysis, so we have two ways that we're testing ticks. We have our passive surveillance, which, you know, we offer free tick testing to Connecticut residents um, here at the uh, experiment station. Uh, and we also go have an active surveillance program where we have got 40 collection sites in all eight counties around the state. So the sampling testing the past two years, we're running around 15 to 20% infection rate in the small nymphal ticks and somewhere up around 45 to 48% uh, infection rate in the adult uh, ticks. Um, so not every tick is infected, uh, something people need to bear in mind, uh, but nonetheless, uh, like I said, this is peak Lyme disease season. If someone finds a tick, what are the criteria for the agricultural experiment station wanting to test it? Is it just a tick that happens to be crawling on someone or should it be kind of, you know, engorged? It has to be attached and somewhat engorged. It, it, we know that it takes about 24 to 36 hours, even for an infected tick, to transmit the Lyme disease bacteria to you through the feeding process. So there's really not much point in testing a tick that's been attached less than 24 hours. So we don't test those. Uh, so basically any tick that's removed from a person uh, that is, shows no evidence of feeding, uh, uh, it's just attached at this point, uh, will be tested uh, for ticks that are submitted to the experiment station, mainly through your local health department. What advice do you have for people to protect themselves from tick bites in general and, and Lyme in particular? You know, we actually estimate that, you know, about three quarters of all of the tick bites and therefore Lyme disease cases are actually acquired around the home. Uh, most people, not everyone, uh, live in homes that at least have some kind of wooded or stone wall or, you know, unmaintained edge exposure. Uh, and about 20% of residents, of course, go out and acquire ticks and activities away from the home. So, you know, uh, if you're doing high-risk activities like yard work or garden work and you know you have ticks, you know, wear long pants. I tuck them in the socks. Most ticks are acquired in that very low vegetation. They can't jump, they can't fly, and they're not dropping from the trees. They can move up the body relatively quickly and will attach virtually anywhere. So... Um, and then you can increase your protection by using either a skin or clothing repellent. How do they end up where people pick them up? How do they end up in the grass? Okay, so the basic life cycle, I mean, deer is the main host for the adult stage of the deer tick. And so each female tick feeding on a deer or other large uh, mammal will drop off and lay about 2,000 eggs. And so you get about 2,000 larval ticks hatching from that. They feed mainly on our chipmunks, our white-footed mice and birds, small animals, um, although they will feed on anything. And they're not infected. They pick up the Lyme infection as well as some of the other pathogens that the tick can spread to humans like anaplasma and babesia by feeding on the, what we call the reservoir hosts, like the mice that carry this. And then once they become infected as larvae, they molt to nymphs. So the nymphs we're seeing right now were larval ticks last August. And so uh, that's why not everyone's infected. It depends on what animal host they feed on. Uh, and then if they, as a nymph, if they feed on a mouse again, they've just, you know, increased their chances of getting infected. That's why the infection rates are higher in the adults. So basically it's, it's a, a, and it's a deer or mice. It's both, you know, deer is a reproductive host. 
mice and chipmunks, shrews, and a few birds are what we call reservoir hosts that can serve to infect the ticks that feed on them. It seems ticks can be active at any time during the year if the weather is warm enough. Is, is that accurate? And has that changed over the years as the, the climate has changed? As far as our deer tick is concerned, no, that hasn't changed. Uh, the adult ticks come out uh, in the fall. They do not hibernate, so they will become active looking for a host on warm days, even through the winter months. Uh, and then as spring uh, uh, warms up, uh, they you see a second peak of adult tick activity. So you can pick up a tick, uh, at least a deer tick, almost uh, any time of the year, depending on weather conditions. Now, I know for pets, you can treat your pet with a medicine that will basically kill the ticks if they, they bite the pet. There's a, a Lyme disease vaccine, I know, for dogs. Is, is that something that's going to be developed for humans, or is there not the demand for that, or are there, there are other reasons why that, that isn't out there? There is not a Lyme disease available for humans at this point. Uh, there was one that was taken off the market back in 2001, just didn't have a lot of demand, and there were a lot of you know, unsubstantiated allegations that the vaccine was causing Lyme-like symptoms. But uh, there is a new Lyme vaccine that is, uh, has undergone phase one and phase two trials. This may be a term that people might be familiar with because of the COVID vaccine uh, trials. Um, and so it remains to be seen whether they'll get into what we call the phase three trials. So it is possible in a few years we may have another, uh, a new Lyme disease vaccine. Now, I know even most pests have some place in the circle of life. Do ticks have any redeeming qualities? Yeah, I get that question quite a bit, and it's, it's, it's kind of hard to find any. They have very few natural enemies. Um, it's not like mosquitoes, for example, that you know a lot of birds and bats feed on. Even the larval mosquitoes, a lot of, you know, they have their predators as well. So there's very few things that feed on, on ticks. Um, they're ideal parasites. Uh, so yeah, it's hard to find any redeeming properties for about ticks. Now we talked about the deer tick and the dog tick. Are there other species that are, are present in Connecticut? Yes. Yeah, so what we're seeing, you made a reference to climate change. What we're seeing is a steady northward movement of some of our southeastern uh, tick species. About a majority of uh, tick bites in the southeastern United States are caused by the lone star tick. It, it gets its name from a bright spot on the back of the female ticks. Um, and so it's been steadily moving north. It moved, started moving into Long Island in the early 1990s, but we just didn't see it here in Connecticut. We started seeing a slow increase in number of lone star ticks uh, coming in here to the tick testing laboratory here at the experiment station. And then in 2017, I discovered a really heavy population uh, on an island down in South Norwalk, Connecticut. And we found subsequently another heavy population of Lone Star ticks at another location in Fairfield County as well. So the scientists here um, that, you know, uh, that run the tick testing lab as well as my team uh, we're, you know, constantly looking out for them, but we're picking up Lone Star ticks, not large numbers, isolated individuals, uh, at sites all along the lower counties of Connecticut where we just never, ever saw them before. And this uh, Lone Star Tick is also showing up on parts of the Cape area, Cape Cod area, and the islands off the Cape. 
And so it is creeping northward. And I think this has to do mainly to our somewhat warmer winters that we're having. It allows the tick to survive through the winter months. And uh, we even did some overwintering studies here in Connecticut with colleagues in Maine. And even though the survival rate was much lower, uh, the Lone Star tick adults actually made it through the winter as long as they had some snow and leaf litter, you know, insulating cover, uh, even up in coastal Maine. So this tick is going to continue moving north. We're going to see more of it. What sort of disease do the Lone Star ticks carry? Well, the Lone Star tick uh, is the main vector for uh, what we call ehrlichiosis. It's, you know, it's a, a pathogen that affects a different type of a white blood cell. Um, than our anaplasmosis spread by our deer ticks, which uh, is very closely related, but it affects a, a different kind of white blood cell. Both infections are easily treated with antibiotics, but it's also a vector for a number of other disease pathogens. And the one that gets people's attention is red meat allergy, which isn't a pathogen. It's an, it's a, triggers an allergic reaction um, to a sugar that is present in mammals, but not humans. And so uh, what it does, this particular sugar is present in any red meat. And if it's been associated with bites of the Lone Star tick, so um, people that develop this allergy can have uh, mild to very severe and even anaphylactic shock reactions uh, after eating uh, you know, a steak or hamburger. Uh, it's a delayed hypersensitivity reaction, which usually occurs anywhere from six to eight hours after having, say, in that that steak dinner if you do develop this allergy. Gosh, so not good for meat eaters. Not good for meat eaters. You can still have fish and you can still have chicken, but it would definitely put a crimp on your red meat diet. We are talking to Dr. Kirby Stafford. He is chief scientist and state entomologist at the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station in New Haven. Changing gears, but still talking about pests, mosquitoes. The state's annual mosquito monitoring program is underway. Uh, tell us uh, what's happening there and what might be ahead for the, the summer season. Well, the you know what's going to happen each year is always kind of hard to predict. But yes, the statewide mosquito surveillance program uh, began on June 1st. Uh, the first results uh, of the testing will be posted on the Experiment Station website on June 14th. Um, historically, there's been about 91 uh, trapping sites around the state. This was expanded last year to 108 sites. 16 new trapping sites were added uh, due to the uh, eastern equine encephalitis outbreak in here in the Northeast in 2019. Um, there were four cases um, and three of which were fatal that year. So uh, Eastern Inquine encephalitis is a relatively rare, but very serious uh, arboviral disease, uh, which can cause meningitis um, and uh, meningoencephalitis uh, and has a you know, 30 to 50% mortality rate. Um, but it doesn't have, occur every year. So the idea of adding the traps was just simply to increase our coverage in some of the high-risk areas in Eastern uh, Connecticut. Now, if history is any guide, we will see West Nile in Connecticut before Tripoli, correct? Yes, we will always we always do detect West Nile virus, you know, every year. It's it's an you know, it's established. Um, you know, it does uh, vary from year to year in terms of the degree of, you know, mosquito infections uh, that are picked up, but uh 
you know, we do pick it up every year. Um, there is a difference in distribution because the mosquitoes that carry the two uh, disease pathogens are a little different. So we mainly see West Nile occurring predominantly uh, along the coast, uh, the 95 corridor up through the 90, uh, I-91 corridor. It's a more urban associated uh, disease. It occurs in mosquitoes that can breed and catch basins and so on. Um, whereas the life cycle of the mosquito, the mosquito that carries uh, Eastern equine encephalitis naturally is a mosquito called Culicida. It's a bird feeding mosquito. And then if it builds up in the bird uh, mosquito cycle, then it can be picked up mosquitoes that feed on both birds and mammals and therefore, you know, trans uh, uh, it to uh, potentially to humans and uh, other other animals that they're feeding on. Now, we're coming off a heat wave this past week. Is there any link between weather conditions and how active these mosquitoes and the viruses they carry are? There is some linkage there um, because particularly, for example, with uh, West Nile, the, uh, the Culex mosquitoes that, you know, in the catch basins and, and or containers, you want to, people want to make sure that they, they uh, either, you know, make sure there's no standing water around their homes uh, or if it's a bird bath like I do, I, you know, I put in a, what we call a mosquito uh, biscuit, you know, which is BT, uh, which is a biocontrol for the mosquito larvae. And, um, but they like uh, dirty, uh, somewhat polluted, uh, or, you know, somewhat dirtier water, um, which, so those kind of standing water conditions are ideal. And in addition to eliminating standing water around your home, what else can you do to protect yourself from getting bitten? Well, you can use a mosquito repellent, just like, uh, like you do for ticks and, um, you know, be careful, watch, you know, come indoors, make sure the screens on your house are secure. Um, and just try to avoid the, the bites and watch out for notices from the experiment station uh, on positive detections, which, you know, would increase your, uh, uh, you know, taking precautions uh, against mosquito bites. I know Zika was in the headlines in other parts of the country a couple years back. Are we seeing any emerging pathogens carried by mosquitoes in Connecticut? Uh, there are, I'm not real familiar with them since I actually don't run, I'm the tick guy. I don't run the mosquito program, but, uh, there, you know, Jamestown Canyon virus, there are a few other, uh, viruses that, uh, you know, we're starting to increase focus on and, um, and all of the testing results, uh, I should remind people, including all the other viruses, uh, uh, including, you know, West Nile, Tripoli, Jamestown Canyon, and all the other viruses, uh, that are detected are posted on our, our on our website uh, so people can track those. Going back to ticks for a second, we are unfortunately kind of ground zero for Lyme disease. It's named after a town in Connecticut. Not every state has such a robust monitoring program, does it? Uh, for ticks, no. The CDC is funding uh, some states to increase what we call their active surveillance program. We started our program in uh, 2019, which is where you have to go out and systematically drag, what we call drag. We, we collect these ticks. Remember, they quest. They grab a hold of, you know, animals' hair or people's clothes. You know, we can use a, a drag, a special drag cloth to drag the vegetation and collect the ticks that way. So we're actively uh, conducting surveillance uh, for them. And the CDC 
has expanded that program somewhat. Uh, the funds are a little bit limited, but to increase that kind of surveillance in other states where uh, these ticks are expanding uh, their range, particularly our black-legged tick as it expands from the Northeast and upper Midwest, northward as well as southward. Um, and one of the reasons we're seeing such a steady increase in Lyme disease cases nationally is simply because the tick is expanding its range geographically, putting more people uh, at risk of exposure. Now, moving on, there are some other pests that have surfaced in Connecticut, including the box tree moth recently. Uh, tell us about that and why it's of concern. Well, the experiment station, we're actually here. We are the plant regulatory uh, agency, state plant regulatory agency here in Connecticut. Um, we do monitor for invasives, uh, working closely with the USDA. And so... Uh, when we get a pest of concern, obviously we're, you know, we're heavily involved with that. So the box tree moth is a pest of boxwood that uh, was present originally in Asia, got introduced into Europe, uh, and then it got introduced into Canada in 2018. And then here, this uh, just recently, then uh, some, there were some, there was an infested nursery in Canada that uh, shipped boxwood to a number of uh, nurseries here uh, in the United States. In other words, they ordered these boxwood from this nursery in Canada. And so the USDA started tracing those. We had, they had, there were three nurseries in Michigan. There was one in South Carolina and one retail nursery here in Connecticut, which were found infested with the box tree moth. And so now the USDA has issued a, um, a federal order, um, you know, basically blocking all shipments of boxwood from Canada. And uh, we're in the process, they're in the process of trying to trace down any, as much as possible, any of these boxwoods that potentially could be uh, infested. The concern is, is this boxwood tree moth can, can defoliate boxwood relatively quickly. Um, and that just adds to the pressure on our nursery industry and then also for homeowners who have been dealing with, of course, boxwood blight that was discovered here in Connecticut in 2011. So we have a, a disease, uh, so, which is kind of managed now, uh, but we also now have a new pest. So it, it's putting a lot of stress on our nurseries, which are very concerned uh, in terms of keeping their boxwood uh, disease and pest free. And there's also the spotted lanternfly. Yeah, the spotted lanternfly is a yet another uh, exotic uh, introduction, first detected in Pennsylvania in 2014. It's, it's now expanded to quite a number of states. Um, and so uh, it's a pest that uh, is a particular agricultural concern. Um, it can be devastating to grapes and to fruit trees um, as, um, as well as hops as far as agricultural products uh, uh, go. Uh, it can also be a, a very uh, a nuisance pest uh, because it's a plant hopper, sort of like analogous to like a giant aphid. And so when it feeds, it secretes a lot of what we call honeydew because it feeds on the sap you know, from the trees. And that sticky sap can just make a mess of things and you get sooty uh, mold growing on it. So it, it for home, generally for homeowners, it's a nuisance uh, a pest, but it will attack or feed on a wide variety of, of trees. 
and, and, and uh, ornamental plantings, but it has a very strong preference, particularly the adults for tree of heaven, um, which seems to be very important uh, in its reproduction in terms of the adults gathering and feeding on that particular tree. Um, so whereas we, in order to try to slow its spread, we do have a statewide quarantine order that goes into effect on July 1. People can see it on our website. And then we're gonna define a known established infestations as restricted areas uh, and any movement of plants and so forth out of those particular towns where we have heavy populations need to be uh, carefully checked for spotted lanternfly. Um, and we're just trying to just, it's kind of like gypsy moth. We just want to minimize uh, the movement of any potentially infested material to kind of slow the spread of this new invasive insect. He is Dr. Kirby Stafford, chief scientist and state entomologist at the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, glad to be with you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and ATT at tmobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.